Boy, what a good prayer to pray, overcome our heart's resistance. We all have that resistance in our hearts to the Word of God. And what we're praying is that the love of Christ would, would compel us and, and overwhelm us. That's what I'm praying that would happen to us during this service. It is the Word of God that changes our hearts. That's, that's the whole conviction that I bring to this pulpit with me, is if I didn't believe in the Word of God, if I didn't believe that God was actually speaking through His Word, there would be no point in us even doing this, right? This is why we gather. This is why we meet, so that we can be exposed to the Word of God and be changed. I mentioned this last week, but one of my theme verses for my ministry, my approach to preaching, is from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, when Paul says, we preach Christ warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present everyone, what, mature, perfect in Christ Jesus. It's the effect of the Word of God to bring about Christian maturity in our lives. And that's why we open the Word of God. So would you take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 6. Now, this is the last time I'm going to ask you to open to Matthew chapter 6, at least during this sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, because it's the last of our messages on this series. We are coming to the very end. We're dealing with the sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I kind of get sad when I come to the end of a sermon series because I just so love digging into the Word of God and unfolding what it has for us, and uh, this is something that I just take great joy in. But we're coming to the end of this series, and we are going to beginning, uh, be beginning a new series uh, next Sunday uh, during the month of December on Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. So although I'm sad to be leaving behind this series, I'm looking forward to the series that we have in front of us and then moving on for uh, 2019. But I hope that you have been enjoying this as well, and more than just enjoying it, I hope that you have been grasping what we're trying to emphasize through this. Jesus teaches his followers how to pray. Why does he do that? Because prayer is communication with God, and communication with God is central to having a relationship with God. And having a relationship with God is the very reason that you and I were created. God made us to thrive in a relationship with him. Prayer is central to that relationship, and so if you can learn to pray well, you can learn to live out the purpose for which God created you. That's why what we've been emphasizing is this. If you can learn to pray well, you can learn to live well. If you could learn to deal with the realities of your life and all the struggles and the triumphs and the sorrows that you have, and you can bring them to the throne of grace, and you can present them to God, if you can live your life in the presence of God, you can live well. So if you can learn to pray well, you can learn to live well. Finish that with me. If you can learn to pray well, you can learn to live well. Let's do it again. If you can learn to pray well, you can learn to live well. That's why Jesus teaches his followers this model prayer. Let me urge you, brothers and sisters, don't just be hearers of the Word, but be doers. Don't let this just be a, a series that you're hearing as you come Sunday after Sunday, but let it transform your prayer life. I mean, let it, let it not just be in the closet, but let it burst out into the way that you live your life. Don't just listen. Don't just listen, but do as well. Now we're going to be focusing on this final petition that's even more personal. We talked about the daily bread, talked about forgiveness last time. And now we're going to talk about something that you and I face every single day, temptation. 
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and ask the Lord to bless our time. Our Father, we can call you Father only because of what Jesus has done for us. I pray that you would open our hearts to your word, overcome our heart's resistance. May we not just be hearers of your word, but doers as well. I pray that you would work a change in our lives that could not come about just because of the words of a man or because of a time in a worship service, but that you would bring about a change that is possible only because your Spirit has worked in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in college, I was an 18-year-old freshman, I, this may come as a complete surprise to you, but I was no genius in time management at that time, which means that if I had a 9 o'clock class, I wouldn't start preparing for it until like 8 o'clock. Or if I had a test at 1 o'clock, I wouldn't start work studying for it until noon. I mean, I just did things last minute when I first started out in college, and then I learned a thing or two about managing my time. But early on, it was pretty bad. And it was a problem because I would tend to skip lunch. Like I had a one o'clock class, and I'm like, oh, I got this class coming up. I have a quiz to study for. And so instead of taking the long, treacherous, arduous journey across campus to the dining common, I found a quicker and a more convenient way to satisfy my hunger, and that was right in the men's dormitories in the vending machine. And so I began to develop this habit go to the vending machine, and there was this one item in particular that was a temptation for me. You see, this item would just beckon me from behind the glass of that vending machine. Six ounces, all of 85% of the saturated fat I needed for the day. (laughs) A third of all the calories I needed for the day was packed into this gooey, wonderful, sweet Mrs. Freshly's Jumbo Honey Bun. That's what I would use to satisfy my hunger. And what I would do, I'd, I'd put my, it was 75 cents, I still remember it because I was really poor and I could barely afford that, but I'd, I'd put my quarters into the machine, plunk, 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 and I'd, I'd press the button there and I'd hear that satisfying thud of the Mrs. Freshly's Jumbo glazed honey bun dropping to the bottom of the vending machine. And with trembling, starved fingers, I would reach into the, into the, the door down there and, and pick it out. I'd open the package, trying to ignore the nutrition facts on the back. I'd place that honey bun lovingly into a bed of paper towels and right into the microwave. For about 30 seconds was all it took to transform that somewhat hardened piece of fat into a sticky, gooey feast of calories and enriched bleached flour and sugar and water. And then I'll take it out of the microwave and I'll quickly do with that honey bun what should be done at that time, what I thought should be done with any honey bun, and quickly consume it. And feeling energized and satisfied, I would dash off to my one o'clock class feel pretty good until about halfway through that class. And then my stomach would begin to protest that foolish choice. 
feel like a brick was in the pit of my stomach. And, and I think, why did I do that? I'm never going to eat a honey bun again. And yet, the next one o'clock class comes around, 12 noon, I get hungry, I'm running late, I pass the snack room, slip into the, by the vending machine, stare again at that tantalizing, tempting honey bun. And I put again my well-earned 75 cents, and I give in to temptation again and again. I mean, I'll grant this for you, it may not be a honey bun that tempts you. I mean, honey buns don't tempt me anymore. There's something about uh, that just doesn't really do it for me. But for you, it may be an extra slice of cheesecake or something else that is a temptation for you. But doesn't that say something about our temptations? That they're so unique and they're so powerful and they're so compelling that we can, against our better judgment, go back to them again and again, even when we know they're not good for us, even when we know we really shouldn't. And, and temptations, while they are as, as prevalent and sometimes as ridiculous as my honey bun addiction in my freshman year of college, they are certainly not always so trivial, and they are certainly not always that ridiculous. Consider this scenario. A man leaves for work. After a frustrating and irritating conversation with his wife, things haven't been right for months. Home is not a place of, of welcome refuge for him anymore, and it seems like there's this ongoing irritation and conflict, and all he could see are her flaws. And as he walks into work, he sees that new, attractive woman who has been hired into his company. They meet in the lobby, linger for conversation, laugh together, and as he walks away, his mind begins turning of a way he can get more time with her. Or consider this woman who it's, it's spending season as we come up on Christmas time, but she's been spending all year buying new things and having the thrill of something arrive on her doorstep from Amazon or, or going to the mall and buying stuff just becomes a kind of coping mechanism for her. And only the people closest to her know that she's deeply in debt and no one but her knows how deeply the cords of temptation and addiction of spending have wrapped themselves around her heart. Or consider this young man whose grandfather recently passed away, whose parents have recently separated, and, and everything that was stable and concrete about his life has just seemed to melt and disappear into questions and, and wonderings. And he begins to think, is, is God real? Is, is the Bible true? Is everything I've learned about Christianity and being able to trust God, is it, is it really worth it anymore, or should I just give it all up? Just change the details change the names, we all know what it is to be tempted, don't we? And although these scenarios may not fit your exact situation, you know that temptations are personalized. They're, they're, they're like a deadly concoction made just for you. When temptation arrives on your doorstep, it doesn't come in this boring brown paper box. It, it comes in your favorite wrapping paper, it comes in your favorite color, it comes with your name on the label because as James says in James chapter 1, that we are tempted and, and drawn with, with our own lust that is our unique, tailor-made, idiosyncratic 
temptations. How are you dealing with temptation in your life? How are you resisting temptation in your life? And even though all of us know what it's like to be tempted, and, and, and our temptations yet at the same time uh, uh, are directed in very unique and personal ways, nobody has the temptation you have. Your temptations are personalized, tailor-made, even though all of us experience temptations in different ways, yet we tend to respond to them in either one or two ways. We, we tend to either have this kind of response. On the one hand, you may be the sort of person that's like, I just can't even handle temptations, so I just give up. I just totally give in. It's too difficult for me. Why even try? Or you may, on the other hand, be the sort of person that says, I can do it. I could just knuckle down and put more grit and determination and willpower and resolve, and I can fight this temptation. If you're the sort of person that tends to just give in to temptation without a fight, the problem with that is that you completely underestimate the power of sin in your life. If you're the sort of person that's th that just gives in to temptation, you have this idea that you can manage the consequences of sin, but, but sin cannot be managed. Uh, sin may start out with the slender, silky threads like a spider web, but they grow into iron st steel cables around your life. That is the nature of temptation. You cannot manage the consequences of sin. If you're the sort of person that thinks, oh, I, I wouldn't just give in at the first temptation. No, I, I'm going to apply some resolve and resolution and grit and determination. Oh, if, if that's your approach, if that's our approach, we completely overestimate the power of our will. Whether just of the approach that's given to temptation or just knuckle down against temptation, the, the result is the same. We'll, we'll fail. It's guaranteed. Because if you're the sort of person that says, I can fight it on my own, it's kind of like trying to play this whack-a-mole game. You know where you get the big hammer in the arcades and, and you try to smash down the moles that are popping up their head? You smash down one and another pops up in a different way. If you, if you think that you could defeat sin by your own willpower, I can guarantee you that another sin will pop up in another area of your life and it's probably going to be a sin like, a more subtle sin like being judgmental or having a critical spirit or pride or arrogance. Yeah, you may have beat lust, you may have beat greed, but there is a critical spirit creeping into your life. That's what happens when we try to beat sin on our own. The problem is that both of these ways of handling temptation guarantee failure. But there is another way. And we encounter that way when we read this petition in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, Jesus teaches us to pray this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me give you very briefly the path that we're going to take throughout this message. I'm, I'm going to ask and answer three questions. The first question is this, simply, what are we praying for when we pray Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What are we praying for? Secondly, why are we praying for it? And third, what's the solution? What are we praying for? Why are we praying for it? And what's the solution? So first of all, what are we praying for? Let me just drill down into some words here, okay? So, so get your attention fixed on this passage and look at verse 13. You see the word evil. It's the very last word in this verse, deliver us from evil. Now, that word evil 
It could refer to evil in general, hatred, arrogance, bitterness, lust, greed, all these kind of things. It could refer to evil in general, but it also could refer to the evil one. And you may be holding a translation in which the word is rendered evil one, referring to, of course, the devil. And it could mean actually either one. It could mean either the evil one referring to the devil, or it could mean evil in general. That's why these some translations uh, have rendered it rescue us from the evil one. But either way, the meaning is not significantly different because whether it's the devil himself that tempts us to evil, or it's the nature of our evil hearts or the nature of the world around us, the end is the same. We're we're caught, we're trapped, we're overcome. And so the prayer is, deliver us from evil. And to be delivered from evil, we are praying that God would not lead us into temptation. So let's drill down in this word temptation. Now the word temptation has a range of meanings, just like many words in English have a range of meanings. They can mean different things depending on the context. Two main Uh, ideas here that could be contained in the word temptation. You have the idea of a trial. That is an experience that you go through that is meant to refine your faith, to make you stronger, to make you more determined and more resolved and more uh, secure in your faith in Christ. It's a trial. Many of you know what it's like to experience a trial in which what you believe about God is being tested. What you believe, whether God is good and faithful, you're going through something right now, and and there are circumstances in your life in which you're tempted to think, I wonder if God is really being good to me. That's a trial. But there's also another range of meaning here contained in this word is this idea of an allurement to sin. That is, you're going through a situation that is tempting you to do what you know God does not want you to do. So within this word temptation, there is a range of meanings, either a trial that's meant to refine your faith or a temptation that could lure you to sin. And some people have puzzled over this. We think, on the one hand, why would we ask God to do something, that is, lure somebody to sin, that He's promised never to do? James writes that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts He anyone, but everyone who is tempted is drawn away of His own lust and enticed. On the other hand, if we're asking God to deliver us from temptation in the sense of a character and belief-refining trial, why would we ask God to do something He's promised He will do, that is, bring us through trials to strengthen our faith? I think the solution here is to understand the prayer in this way. Whether in trials or temptations, we are acknowledging that unless God delivers us, we're completely helpless. That's the meaning of this petition. Whether it's a trial that is is testing what you believe to be true about God, putting pressure on your faith, or whether it's a temptation that is luring you to sin, whether a trial or temptation, you're saying, God, if I experience this without your help, I'm completely demolished. I have no hope apart from you. That is what's going on when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Without his help, we are absolutely undone. So that's what we're praying for. We're praying this, Lord, you know my complete weakness you know my vulnerability, so please don't lead me into any tempt- tempting situation without delivering me from the evil that may bring me into sin. 
So I think we're getting closer to understanding. Remember I said at the beginning, we tend to either respond by just giving into temptation, by just letting it uh, overcome us, or on the other hand, by, by drawing from our own willpower and resolve to fight it. And, and either way, whether you choose the give in or the just grit it out, either way is guaranteed to failure. We're getting closer to understanding what we're asking for. What are we praying for? We're first of all acknowledging that unless God delivers us, we're utterly helpless. But we need more to unpack this. So let's move on to the next question. Why do we need to pray this? We need to pray this prayer for the very reason that we hinted at just a few moments ago, that we are completely unable to have victory over temptation by ourselves. We are completely unable to have victory over temptation by ourselves. When facing temptation as fallen human beings, when we have a temptation, we, we will give in without help. Now, you may say, hey, this just, this just seems like the, the dour, pessimistic perspective of, of a preacher or, or the Bible. And, of course, this is what the Bible is going to say, that we're weak and given to temptation. But you know what? You, you encounter this even in secular literature. And consider one of the greatest philosophers of Western uh, history, Plato. He tells a story that is very fascinating in which a shepherd named Gyges is uh, watching over his sheep, and there's an earthquake that splits the, uh, the, this, the side of the hill open, and, and he goes into this, this cave that's been created, and he finds this gigantic horse in there, a, a, like a stone horse. And, and inside that horse, looking this is a bizarre story, okay? Just, just a little heads up, right? So it's not really happened. It's kind of a, it's kind of a thought experiment. Uh, he, the, so Gyges goes and he looks inside this horse and he finds this, this statue lying down. And on the statue is a ring. He takes the ring off and discovers that if he turns that ring a certain way, he becomes invisible. All right, now you're thinking, hey, this kind of sounds familiar. Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings or something. Actually, this was written, do you think that, uh, that he copied it from Tolkien? No, actually, Plato lived 300 years before the time of Christ, okay? So, this, this story was around for a long time. Now, what he discovered was that when he became invisible, he could do whatever he wanted. And he used that power for incredibly evil purposes. Now, here was the thought experiment. Give that ring of invisibility to a very wicked man and give that temptation to a very righteous man. And they'll both do the same thing. Here's his point. Given sufficient temptation, given sufficient invisibility, given an anonymity, we will do whatever our flesh craves for. This is not just the perspective of stern, uh, judgmental prophets of Scripture. This is common sense. This is, this is what we know to be true about human nature, that unless God helps us, unless God intervenes, we are completely helpless in the face of temptation. Consider some of the greatest characters of the Bible. I mean, Adam and Eve, they lived in a perfect environment. They were given a commission from God to take care of the garden, to be fruitful and multiply and exercise God's good dominion in the world. And what did they do in the face of temptation? temptation. They gave in to temptation. Consider even Abraham, a man whom the Old Testament puts forth as a paradigm of faithfulness and trusting God. And yet even Abraham, in, in this moment of doubt and weakness, listened to the voice of his wife Sarai and had a child through Hagar. Consider David, 
You, you read the Psalms, and, and many of the Psalms were written by David, and these Psalms are exploding with his passion for God. And you think, such a man, I mean, wouldn't he live a holy life, a perfect life? But you look at what happened with David and Bathsheba. I mean, yes, David had a passion for God, but he also had a passion that exploded into, into lust and, and, and murder, and then the whole unraveling of his kingdom, he gave into temptation. You think about Solomon, the wisest man besides Christ who ever lived, he gave, gave into temptation. You think about, about Peter himself, bold, outspoken, type A, res, uh, resolved, confident Peter. He gave into temptation. Jesus and his disciples were on the Mount of Olives on that fateful night when Jesus was betrayed by Judah and arrested by the rulers. And before they went out, Jesus said to his disciples, Tonight, all of you are going to fall away. And Peter immediately speaks up and he says, Hey, they might but I'm not going to. Though everyone else falls away, I will not fall away. And Jesus says, yes, you will. Peter should have known better than to doubt the words of a man who walked on water and raised the dead. Jesus said, yes, you will. And then Peter said, oh, no, I won't. I will go to death with you and never forsake you. But it was just hours later that Peter couldn't even stay awake for a prayer meeting with Jesus. And it was just hours later when, when the guards came in to arrest Jesus that he fled along with the other disciples. Oh, yes, he came back. He followed at a distance. He came into the courtyard where a soldiers and servants were, were warming their hands around a fire. And when they looked Peter in the face, they said, hey, weren't you with him in the garden? And Peter said, I was not. Three times he denied that he ever knew that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth, that he had any association with him. After just with such resolve and determination, the power of his own self-will, he had said, this is not going to happen. I'm never going to betray you. And Jesus had said earlier to Peter, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And how true it is that we can have all the resolve we can have all the determination and, and all the desire to not forsake our Lord, but the flesh is weak. If these men and women fell to temptation, my friends, we can too. To pray this prayer, why do we need to pray this prayer? We need to pray this prayer because without God's help, temptation will defeat us every time. The third question is this, so what's the solution? What are we praying for? We're, we're praying, we're asking God, Lord, if you don't help me in the midst of temptation, I will fall. Why are we praying it? Because without God's help, when we face temptation, we will fall every time. So what's the solution? Earlier, I gave a list of Bible characters that fell to sin. And this is true all throughout the Bible, but there's one exception. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Because unlike Adam and Eve, and unlike Abraham, and unlike David, and unlike Solomon, and unlike Peter, this character resisted temptation to a degree far greater than any other character did. I mean, this character, Jesus Christ, he said no to temptation in a way that, that no one else had. And that's why Pastor Kyle read 
Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, which records the temptation of Christ. I mean, the first Adam, Adam was tempted in a garden with everything he needed all around him. Jesus was in a wilderness. Adam had everything he needed to eat. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. Adam was only given one temptation. Jesus was given three, temptation after temptation after temptation to satisfy him and divert his path toward the will of God. And yet every time, Jesus overcame temptation. Never during, his, never during that episode in the desert, never during any point of his earthly life did he have one thought of lust, never did he have one moment of irritation, never did he have one impulse giving into greed, although Jesus was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. And that is why the writer of Hebrews makes that astonishing and comforting declaration, for we have not a high priest which cannot sympathize with with the feeling of our weakness. You feel weak in the face of temptation? You feel helpless in the face of temptation? Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted, and yet He resisted to the fullest degree. At all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So here's the point of this, and here's all the solution. When it comes to temptation, every human fails but one, and that is Jesus Christ. And He did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. What did Jesus do for us that we could not do? He resisted every temptation. He lived a sinless life. So the the solution to victory over temptation doesn't come in a policy of resolve, and it doesn't come in a pathway of apathy. It comes in a person who lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death, that is a death in our place, so that we could receive credit for His resisting our temptation. And that is the message of the gospel. That is this astonishing, mind-boggling, utterly humbling, yet exalting news that Jesus died for us so that we could be holy in the sight of God. The solution is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us who realize that the very one who is teaching us this model prayer to to, to pray, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, he himself was the one who can deliver us from evil. He himself is the one who resisted temptation. What does this mean? This leads us to that third question. So what's the solution? I'll give it to you in, in three words, and I hope this will help you just summarize and encapsulate how, how you and I can respond to temptation. Because Jesus perfectly resisted temptation, I must depend on Him. I must delight in Him and be determined to overcome. Dependence, delight, and determination. Dependence, Delight and determination. Dependence says this, without Christ, I will fail every time, so I must depend on Him. This is not drawing from my own resources, but this is drawing from the strength of Jesus Christ that He supplies us through His Spirit. Because I will fail every time, I must depend on Him. This is a spirit of desperation and dependence. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The person who should be most afraid of temptation, most, most concerned about falling, is the one who thinks he stands. 
This is not the spirit of a dependent, uh, the spirit of a dependent Christian is not one that says, I, I really don't need that. We depend on Christ for every resistance to temptation. Without Christ, I will fail every time, so my, I must depend on Him. One person said this, whoever implores the assistance of God to overcome temptations acknowledges that unless God delivers him, he will be constantly falling. Maybe you've tried to fight on your own. You must learn this lesson of dependence. But second, delight. Without Christ, I will fail every time, so I must depend on him. But second, this delight, Christ is better than whatever I am tempted with. So I must delight in Him. Here is, is the solution to temptation. Yes, depending on Christ because He did for me what I could not do for myself, that is resisting temptation, but also delighting in Christ because unless I see that Jesus is, is better than whatever could be satisfied by my greed, if Jesus is better than whatever could be satisfied by my lust, because Jesus is, is better than whatever could be satisfied by my hatred, I should find delight in Him and therefore overcome that temptation. Dependence and delight, delighting in Him. Pastor Ben and I were talking about this message a few days ago, and he reminded me of this, this illustration of, of, of a container. You, you take a picture of it's full of mud. How can you get that mud out without overturning the container? There's only one way to replace the contents of that container. It's by filling it with something else. There's only one way to replace the contents of, of the container of your heart that have been so filled by giving into temptation, and that's by filling it with, with delight in Jesus and meditating on who He is and filling your mind with Scripture and fellowshipping with, with His followers. This is the way to delight in Jesus. Dependence on Christ. I'm helpless apart from Him. If I face temptation, I will give in every time, so I depend on on Christ, because only He can satisfy, because He is better than whatever I'm tempted with. I must delight in Christ, dependence, delight, but also determination. This is not self-determination. This is not self-dependence. This is not resolution and willpower that springs from ourselves. This is a determination to use the resources that Christ provides. Christ always provides a way to overcome, so I am determined to take it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, listen carefully, you know this verse, but let it just wash over your soul in a fresh way. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will provide the way of escape this is God's promise to you that every time you are tempted, there is a way of escape. There is a way out. You're not walled in. You're not surrounded completely. God has provided a way of escape from temptation, and you must take it because you can depend on Christ, you're delighting in Christ, and you're determined to take the way of escape from temptation that you may be able to endure it. What kind of resources can we be determined to take advantage of? These resources, again, not coming from ourselves, but they come from Christ. There is the Word of God. Meditating on it. Memorizing it. Getting it right into your heart so that, so that it's, it springs from your, your, your mouth and, and into your mind whenever you're faced with that temptation. 
studying it, reading it, reading good Christian books and, and resources that, that help maximize the, the Word of God in your life. I mean, this is one of the resources that Christ has provided for you. Here's another one, the people of God. This church, your Christian life is not a solo thing. It's not something you can do on your very own. We like to be so independent, don't we? We like to think that we can handle this on our own. We cannot. There's a reason why God put you here, and that is because there are people here that can help you. You, can, you can't, and you must be vulnerable to other people in this church so they could speak truth into your life, so that you could have accountability with them, so they could encourage you and you can encourage them. That's why we have such a thing as a local church. This is God's plan for you to overcome temptation. It could be as simple as a, as a phone call to a friend in this church. Pray for me. I'm really struggling with temptation right now. At this certain time, I know that, I know that I'm going to be facing it. It's going to be 8 o'clock in the morning or, or maybe 11 o'clock at night, but at that time, would you commit to pray for me because I need help? I know that without the help of the Lord, I will give in. So, brother, would you pray for me? Sister, would you pray for me? That's taking advantage of the resources that we have in Christ. The Word of God, the people of God, and thirdly, and obviously, prayer to God. Nothing will replace simply crying out to God for help. How do we deal with temptation? How do we pray this prayer and then live out this prayer and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil? We depend on Christ. We delight in Christ and we're determined to use the resources that Christ has provided. We show our dependence by praying that God would deliver. We show our delight by reminding ourselves that whatever I'm tempted with is is nothing compared to the delights that Jesus offers. And I'm determined by His grace to use all the resources that He provides through His Word, through His people, through prayer to Him to overcome this temptation. How are you? How are you dealing with temptation? Brothers and sisters, our testimony for the Lord will only be as strong as our fighting sin and living holy lives. As a church in this community, as someone who interacts with with lost people all the time, you can be a beacon of light. You can show forth the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and and into the kingdom of his son. You can be a beacon of light by resisting temptation and, and living a holy life. That's the kind of church that we want to be. And perhaps you are struggling with temptation. There's an area of life you're just giving into over and over again. Brother or sister, Christ is greater. His power can overcome. Depend on Him. Delight in Him. Be determined to use the resources He provides. Jesus is the one who did for you what you cannot do for yourself. It could be this morning that you are sitting here and you've never, you've never even for the first time depended on Christ for anything. You've never trusted in Jesus Christ. You've never realized to the extent to which you're a sinner. You've never looked at what He did on the cross and realized, oh, that was for my sin. And if that's the case, here's what you need to do. Put your trust in Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible tells us, will be saved. And for those of us who are believers, we need to renew our fight against sin, not in our own power, but in the power that He provides, so that we can pray with sincerity, 
and authenticity. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's bow our heads and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, it could be that there's somebody here that's just really struggling with a temptation. I pray that that man or woman, a boy or girl, a teen guy or teen girl would get help, run to you, talk to another Christian. I pray that we would be the sort of church that would joyfully and humbly seek to become more like Christ by fighting sin, not in our own strength, but depending on the power that you provide. And I pray that you do this work for your own glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.